Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. So in today's episode, I've got a chapter of my first book, Under the Influence, for you. This chapter is called Hoarder. And if you've ever seen the TV show Hoarders, you'll have an idea of what you're about to get into. Basically, my father's house was a interesting and disgusting trash heap. It was full to the brim with just stuff. In this chapter, I go in depth as to what it was like to walk around and be in his household and how it impacted my mental health. A couple of things. This book, Under the Influence, has been very therapeutic to write, but quite traumatic to revisit. Every time I share a chapter or relook at it or talk about it, I'm sort of brought back to the place that I was when I wrote it and then back to the place that I was growing up and living through it. So it's sort of a bittersweet thing, this book, in that it helped me so much to write and I've received a bunch of messages from people who can relate to having a a mentally ill, drug-addicted father and, you know, can sort of relate to some of the stuff that I'm thinking in my experiences. But it is quite emotionally charged. So as as with every time I release a chapter of Under the Influence, massive trigger warning with this one. Um, if you're not in a good place, I suggest you skip this episode. That being said, I always plan on releasing every chapter of every book that I ever write for free. Basically, I do this so that my content isn't put behind a paywall. All that I ask is if you enjoy this, if you enjoy this chapter, if you enjoy what I'm doing here and you want to support me, you can choose to purchase the book, and I'll put the links down below. It's out now as an ebook, paperback, and audiobook. Or you can choose to support the podcast and everything else I'm doing, either on Patreon or through some other methods that I'll talk about after. So the link to this chapter and all of those things will be put down below, including a place where you can read this as a blog post, as well as those support links that I just mentioned. So like I said, trigger warning with this one. Let me know what you think. And yeah, thanks for listening. Hoarder. I realized just how bad Dad's living conditions were about a year after his death. I was talking to a cousin of mine who had recently become a police officer. It's not often that you get a chance to have a first-hand glimpse into the seedy underbelly of the society you live in. So I jumped at the opportunity, asking for recounts of some of her most memorable highlights on the job. After describing some interesting car chases and instances in which she had to draw her weapon, she began describing a case where she was called into a disturbance in a fairly shady area. The neighbours had heard a questionable noise and were concerned enough to inform the police. My cousin was the one who answered the call and arrived with her partner at the scene. When recounting stories about her work, my cousin's language is very matter-of-fact. She would describe the events that happened and the people and the places involved in a very detached and emotionless manner almost like she was writing a report to her superiors. This time was no different. She started with her arrival. As she pulled up to the premises, she observed a very poorly maintained lawn and a garden with overgrown weeds scattered with children's toys and mounds of indiscriminate trash. Lots of garbage bags, broken furniture and random newspapers. Declaring who she was, she knocked upon the door. After a good minute or so, a middle-aged man greeted her. This guy was. Dishevelled with an unkempt appearance, unshaven and dirty. He was quite emancipated, looking gaunt in the face and having significant bags under his eyes. 
he wore loose-fitting shorts and one sock. On his arms were what looked like fresh track marks. Opening the door revealed a faint smell of marijuana, and I could hear the cries of a young baby inside. I listened with fascination and remember thinking, Wow, poor child, I couldn't imagine living with somebody that messed up. It was, and still is, very easy to discount the significance of my past. I often have to remind myself that just because I survived my dad relatively unscathed doesn't discount the events that happened or the real danger that my brother and I were exposed to. So when my cousin mentioned that the man had track marks, I immediately put that story into a completely different category than that of my own. I mean, it's one thing to deal hard drugs and use weed and pills in front of your children, but this guy was on another level. He was using intravenous-based narcotics. Completely different, right? At least my dad was not that bad. It's funny how easy it is to nitpick the small differences and to maintain the status quo of our thoughts. To keep consistency in the stories that we tell ourselves, rather than face the overtly apparent truths that would otherwise be too confronting to deal with. Ultimately, I don't know the full story of this guy, or my father for that matter. Thus, it's very hard to subjectively judge whose situation was worse. What I do know is that either way, I'm so very sorry for that child, and I really do hope that their situation improved. It is not something that anybody should face, particularly not an innocent child. It was when my cousin began to describe the inside of the house that some of her opinion began to show through. She dropped her characteristic report-like reproduction of events and began to personalise what she had seen. She went on to basically describe Dad's house verbatim. It was clear that she was moved by just how bad the state of the house was in. It hit me the moment she said, These were the worst living conditions that I'd ever seen. I can't imagine anyone living there. My cousin's childhood could not have been any more different than mine. Both of her parents worked and had successful careers. Coming from an ethnic background, her house was always spotless. Her parents supported her in every way. She got all of the sports coaching and academic help needed and was quite successful in this sense. She held numerous university degrees and uncountable numbers of sporting trophies and accomplishments. Admittedly, she worked very hard for these achievements, but on the other hand, she had a very strong and secure base to operate from. I always looked up to my cousin, considering her to be a good role model, representative of what you could accomplish if you had parents that actually cared. Parents who worked and whose inebriation stopped at a couple of drinks over dinner. So when she of all people basically described my father's house, labelling it with choice words like horrible, unheard of, disgusting and vile, another part of my world shattered around me. What really opened my eyes was how normal her description seemed to be to me compared to the stark contrast of how exceptionally abnormal my cousin believed it to be. Despite everything, I still hadn't realised just how bad Dad's house was. Up until that point, I still had some unfounded, illogical belief that he was not that bad. It really was an eye-opener. Other people who had seen Dad's house would just say things like, It's a bit messy, or you think that's bad, you should see my house. Maybe they were too close to the situation to see for what it really was. People often prefer to believe their own lies because accepting the hard truth about somebody you love makes that truth real, and that can be unbearable. Or maybe they were just being polite. Regardless, it took my cousin talking about the house of an anonymous junkie for me to truly realise just how decrepit my dad's living conditions really were. If you've ever seen the TV show Hoarders, you'll have a vague idea what it was like in my dad's house. But the problem with TV shows are that they don't paint the full picture. It's one thing to see a house on TV from the comfort of your own home, and another thing, to live in it. The sheer volume of stuff that he owned was staggering. Piles and piles of junk stacked one upon another, at times reaching the roof. Four-foot piles of newspapers slumped 
haphazardly against the walls, volumes of antiquated magazines and books that from their condition were seemingly published last century. Fishing gear was stored next to old clothes, and gardening equipment was placed precariously on top of pillows, which themselves were on top of large boxes. Containing endless numbers of ashtrays and other paraphernalia that no house needs more than one or two of. He seemed to have five times as many benches and shelves than any sane house planner would conceive to place in any one property. In a room that would struggle to fit a couch and a TV cabinet, my dad also managed to cram in a coffee table, two tall boys, three cabinets, a spare fridge, and an old-fashioned road bike. Suffice to say, it was not easy to move through his house. He did put all that extra storage space to good use, mind you. I remember counting over 50 empty glass containers. What did he need them all for? What was he planning to do that required so many empty glass containers? Who knows? His taste in reading content was eclectic, to say the least. Hidden throughout the house, not in the bookshelves, mind you, was a library of books on every conceivable topic. Content ranged from Hindu and Buddhist holy scriptures to outback survival. He had manuals on car repair, as well as instructional booklets on the application of kung fu for women. High-level physics textbooks stood side by side with flower identification handbooks. Then there was the vast variety of fiction from every genre, as well as poetry and picture books. I wonder how many of them he had read. I can't believe I never asked him about that. For some reason, I assumed that he just collected them like everything else in his house, just for show, kept because they were gifts or just random acquisitions accumulated over the years. Being an avid reader myself, I feel like I've missed a massive opportunity. Maybe we could have bonded over the plot of some novel or learnt a new skill together, if only I'd asked. I don't know how he got so much stuff or how he perpetually increased his hoard, particularly when, towards the end, he hadn't driven himself anywhere for years. Maybe people gave him more and more as a form of barter in exchange for drugs. That would explain some of the woman's rings I found, but not the excessive amounts of furniture. I chuckle at the thought of some skinny junkie rocking up to Dad's house, struggling under the massive weight of a bookshelf strapped to his back, pleading with Dad for another hit. My Dad, initially rejecting the trade, saying he only takes cash, but upon re-entering his house, he looks at a small patch of unclaimed ground in the middle of his lounge room, between a pile of newspapers and the four-foot brass kangaroo, and says to himself, Yeah, that would go well here. I really do need a third bookshelf for the centre of my lounge room. He goes back outside to the eager junkie and makes the trade. Dad looks over his new acquisition and smiles, content in the knowledge that he made the far better deal. I could sell this for a massive profit one day. The junkie places the item on the ground, beside the doorstep, and takes his prize with glee. He knows that tonight will be a good night. Still standing outside, Dad's smile quickly fades. It dawns on him that there is no way he'll be able to move such a massive item up the stairs and into his house. Regret starts to fill his mind as he desperately looks around for help. Finding no one, he returns inside, downtrodden. It seems that piece of unclaimed ground in the lounge room is destined to stay available for some time. To overcome the regret of his purchase, he decides to light up. Once the effects of the high take over, he goes back outside to reevaluate the situation. Looking at the massive bookshelf, a smile slowly returns to his face. Oh well, it's okay I guess. My front yard really did need a new bookshelf. Besides, it does seem to fit quite nicely over there besides my spare coffee table and the extra car tyres. On a more serious note, the amount of stuff lying around the house was not all bad. It was actually sometimes fun to look through the endless mounds. Being that there was never much else to do at Dad's, I'd spend countless hours looking through all of the trinkets and doodads that his house contained. Some of it was interesting, and all of it had a backstory, but it was mainly just junk, chosen and held onto like a magpie, searching for the perfect accompaniment to his nest. 
Dad would always say to us that you would never know the kind of valuable things you may find hidden in there. He said it grinning, implying some kind of fantastic treasure hunt would ensue upon his death. As if his house contained anything of tangible monetary value. Nevertheless, I remember appreciating the vast collections that he had held. Among my favourites were the plethora of random coins from around the world, Aboriginal memorabilia, and obscure wooden artefacts. It felt like every time you went exploring, you would find something new. But then there was the smell. You know when you go into a florist and walk around, how the whole store has that lovely fresh smell? Around a mix of perfumes permeate from each flower, combining to have an overall pleasing effect on your senses. As you get closer to each sensation, you can start to differentiate between the specific scent of each flower. Roses here, petunias there, daffodils a bit further away. Lovely. In a way, Dad's house was like a florist. Walk through the door, and you'd be instantly hit with a stale aroma. You can't quite place each piece, but you know you don't like it. Depending on where you went in the house, you could start to discriminate between each putrid scent. Dog excrement over there, bog water here. Urine on the floor and mould wafting in from the kitchen. Musty air and marijuana smoke lining the roof, with a healthy slathering of body odour dripping from the couch for good measure. On his good days, Dad did his best to keep the house at an acceptable standard. Granted, his version of acceptable was not quite at the same level that most people would be accustomed to. He still managed to clean up after his dog and deal with the most pressing chores. However, on bad days, when Dad was very high or depressed, the cleaning would not get done at all. On those days, the smell intensified to such a degree that you'd want to vomit. Ironically, the toilet and the bathroom were the only clean spots in the house. By clean, I don't mean free from bacteria. God no. They were dirty as the rest of the place. But for some reason, they didn't smell. Considering the overall state of the house, and that the people that frequented it, I cannot understand how that was possible. But somehow it was. I remember spending a lot of time in the bathroom and shower just to escape the putrid rankness of the rest of the house. Particularly in summer, when the hot sun would awaken the hidden roamers of seasons past. Staying on the toilet for hours reading or doing homework was a common activity for me. I would have long showers and ensure that I took my time to get dressed. Anything to avoid having to spend more time immersed in that smell. Overall, Dad's house was like a disgusting thrift store. Fun to look through and filled to the brim with interesting and unique memorabilia just waiting to be discovered. But stay too long and the smell would grow on you in a very bad way. So thanks for listening. I hope that you got something out of that chapter and enjoyed listening to it. Like I said, there's already a few chapters up and out there that you can read and listen to. So I'll put the link to the Under the Influence page on my website, as well as a link to where you can purchase this book via Amazon if you'd like to support me. And like I said, if you do want to support me, there's a few ways you can do so purchasing this book or any, any of my other books, supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Zach P. Phillips. And you can do that through monthly contributions. All I'm asking for is $1 per month because that's the minimum that they allow you to ask for. And my basic idea is that $1 per month will be unnoticeable on your end. But on my end, collectively, it could make a massive difference. It would mean that I'll be able to post more, write more, share more, talk more, and help more. So if you can afford to support me and you want to support me, please consider doing that. A couple of other things that you could do to support what I'm doing here is rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It's something that you can do for free and it's very quick, but 
once again, it makes a massive difference by getting the word out there. And speaking of getting the word out there, if anything I'm doing will help or you think someone would find it interesting, grab the link, send it to them, talk to them about it, send it in a private message if you think it's a bit too sensitive, all that sort of stuff. And finally, if you want to connect with me, talk about this chapter or anything that I talk about, connect with me on social media. I can be found everywhere at Zach P. Phillips. That's Z-A-C-P-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S. And I'll check the links down below for all of that stuff. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.